That's why in this, uh, in this month of prayer, we are taking the time on Wednesday nights to come together and to pray as a church body. And we've canceled all of our, our children's ministry, all of our teen ministry. We've canceled all of our, all the Bible studies. I, I want everyone, listen, this is a place where we all come together in this place and pray. And I am asking you to come and to be a part. The, the young, the, listen, I mean, our kids, our kids don't just need to hear of us going to a prayer meeting. They need to see us going and praying at a prayer meeting. So please, come on out. Be a part. Come and t- have some worship and some testimonies and some wonderful time to just pray and seek the Lord for what he has for us as a church body, what he has for us as individuals, how he wants us to infect and influence this community and what he desires for us to do. We need to hear from him. And we've also then, and I I love the way the announcement said it, we are sacrificially giving up electronic pleasure. (laughs) Look, you know, uh, Joni and I, because of what she went through, have had to kind of change the way that we've done some of that. We, we spent the first couple of weeks doing Daniel fast. And, and, and at the very beginning of it all, I, I just got rid of all of my social media because that's what that means. Okay, I mean, Facebook and, and Instagram and, and uh, what are some of the other ones? Come on, what are some of the other ones that you guys are hooked on? TikTok, you're hooked on TikTok, okay. <sighs> Yeah, then, yeah, you know what? It can be the news. It, I mean, t- television, what, whatever, whatever it is in there. It's it's time to you know begin to see ourselves setting some of those things aside and let go of them. I I got rid of the all of the the I don't I don't have any social media stuff on my phone any longer or on any of my stuff any longer because I wanted to I wanted to redeem the time that that evil platform has stolen from me. <laughs> I know all things can be used for good or evil. And I, again, please, I, but for me, it was, I just felt it was just robbing my time. And I know what happened. I sleep better now. I don't have anxiety. I'm not worried about what you're doing because you're not sharing with me all of the things that you're doing. Now people actually have to tell on you. I, I, it just, it's just, uh, you know, so peaceful. I'm not putting it back in that message or that it gets to Pastor Mark because Pastor Mark's not on Facebook seeing those things anymore. So if you want to get a message to me, you're going to have to do this thing. It's called call me. All right. You know what that's what your phone's for? Did you guys know that? Do you remember back? Yeah. I won't, I won't, I won't go back to the rotary, rotary, rotary dial phones with the cable attached to it. That, but that's a phone that you have. Yes, and, and really, I mean, there's this thing of interacting, talking, and um, social media wants to steal that from you, and I am asking that this week that you would give those things up, that you would take the time. Listen, th- this is what I found. The, the world will survive without me making posts on social media to remind them of what we're doing. You know what I found? I found that attendance did not drop at the church because I was posting and reminding you to come. Amen. So the world will survive without you being on that. And you may find, like I did, that my time is way better used without being on it. So I want to challenge you to that and come out on on Wednesday night to come out and be a part. Amen. So we are today continuing in Luke chapter 8, looking at verses 40 through 56. We are going to go through the word. I, again, I, let me just say, I, I don't know. I, I, I watch some of the guys that, that like go through the word, word by word. You know, they go through line by line, but, you know, many of the different um, Calvaries that do that. And I, I'm amazed at how these guys go through it so quickly. I don't know how they do it. Because there's some stuff in here that, you know what, I, I would have to skip over. At least I would, because it's too important, and I hope and pray that you will pay attention today. Today, for some of you, may be the most important message that you may have ever heard. You may hear God speak something over you and over your life that you have never heard spoken over you and over your life before, and you may come to this place of understanding, and I'm not going to skip over that so that we can go fast. 
So we're going to continue in this. And I'm just briefly going to recap. If you didn't, weren't here, please go back. Uh, I, I promise it will still help you to make sense with today, even if you weren't here last week. But please go back and watch the sermon from last week if you weren't here, because it will add to what we're talking about today. So we talked last week, we began with just this fact that Jesus cleanses. In verse 40, it says, now, when Jesus returned, the crowds welcomed him. So we talked about how Jesus, he needed a break, got into the boat, the storms came, he calmed the storm, he went offshore, and the demoniac came, demon was cast out, Jesus preached, got back into the boat, and came back to where he came from, and now there's another crowd of needy people there. Verse 41 says that in the midst of this crowd, there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. Verse 42, and he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. This is again one of those places where I was absolutely so um, honored to be able to speak to you last week about the blessings of our daughters. That daughters are a blessing of the Lord. Not, you know, again, don't, oh, if, you, if, if the daughters are blessed, then what are sons cursed? no. But here there's a very specific blessing to the daughter. And, and again, they are. And so there's this crowd that's there. And these people are coming and they're surrounding him. And in the crowd, there's Jairus, the synagogue leader. And Jairus has a daughter that is sick. And she comes. And so Jesus, it says, Jesus. And Jesus, he knows the importance of this daughter. And so Jesus, it says, Jesus went. And the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. So this woman is in this place where she is absolutely desperate. She has had done everything she can. She's destitute. She's spent everything she had. And now, because of the culture in which she lived and the religion that she served, she was lonely. What a terrible place to be totally desperate, totally destitute, and lonely in her suffering. And so this woman, it says she came up behind him, talking about Jesus. She's not even supposed to be there. Religion told her she was not allowed. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So Jesus makes her clean. Jesus makes her clean. And then, and, and going on this week, this is all moving into this week's sermon. Verse 45 says, And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? Now, there's a lot of different responses that we have to why Jesus said that and what happened in there. Oftentimes, we, we take the perspective of the, the woman, you know, well, who touched me and look at that. But what about from Jesus' perspective? Why was it that, why did Jesus feel to say, who touched me? And as I looked at that, I thought, well, you know what? Honestly, I believe it's a rhetorical question. It's like you, as moms, you, you walk into the kitchen and the cookie jar is open and all the cookies are gone. And you look at your two kids and one of them's clean and one of them's covered with fudge and crumbs. As a mom, you say, who got into the cookie jar? And it's not because you don't know the answer. It's because you want to give them the chance to repent. And you know what? Jesus is inviting this woman right here in her situation to come forward and to publicly confess what she's done. Who touched me? Who touched me? And what's going to happen next Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> Peter has this fantastic ability to speak when he shouldn't and to say something that he shouldn't say. He has this ability to fill the silence, to fill this awkward silence with dumb statements. He just does. And, and I'll be honest with you, personally, this is what I absolutely love about Peter. I love that about Peter. I, listen, because I read about Peter and I look at Peter's life and I look at the things that Peter did and the things that Peter said and I think, oh, thank God, there's hope for me. 
God gave us this and he gave us this hope. And I love the fact that even in all of his, uh, his, his sometimes erratic behaviors and, and, and his inability to stay quiet when he should, Peter is the one who Jesus elects to be the leader of these disciples. And again, I love that. So, you know, we, hey, you know, who, so you guys, this disciple gang, who's the leader of it? Oh, see the big fisherman over there, the guy with his foot in his mouth? And I'm like, yeah, I can get along with this because I live with my foot in my mouth. So it's easy to get along with me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. All denied it. And Peter says, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Can't you see Jesus just looking at him and going, thank you, Captain Obvious. So glad you told me because I had no idea that it was people that were crushing in on me. I had no idea that people were touching me. Thank, I, I think about the Tim Hawkins thing about his wife in the car. Thank you, Peter, for being my little helper. I never would have known. Okay, I, I, look at, I look at the disciples and, and I, again, I thank God for this. Ministry with Jesus, it, it, it didn't happen because of the disciples. It happened in spite of the disciples. <laughs> and Jesus said, in verse 46, someone touched me, for I perceived the power had gone out from me. So this touch was different than all the other touches. There was something different about the way that she reached out, about what happened, and Jesus knew it. And the power of God is unleashed into this woman's life through her faith in Jesus Christ to reach out and to touch him. And I want to encourage you today that wherever you are and whatever it is that you're going through in your life, that you would today reach out to Jesus, that you would let Jesus speak into your life, and that you would reach out to him, and that you would allow the power of God to be unleashed in your life and minister to this deep place in you that you desperately need him. Amen. Reach out to Jesus. Verse 47, and when the woman saw that she could not, that she was not hidden, I wonder what the reason was that she couldn't be hidden. Why, why couldn't she hide? I mean, what was going on? I, I was thinking, I imagine after, being, after having this issue of blood for 12 years, I imagine that when she came into the situation, this woman was weak and she was frail and she was overwhelmed by the sickness, by the way in which people treated her, by the uncleanliness of her body, by the places that people looked down upon her. I imagine she came into this place not just sick in her body, but sick in her spirit, sick in her emotions, sick in her mind just totally overwhelmed and frail downcast and now she's healed now she doesn't look the same something's different she's happy She's fine. Can, can you imagine? She's got to be pretty excited. She knew in that instance that the bleeding had stopped, that she had been healed. In that moment, after 12 years, she was healed in that moment. She would have been a little excited about that. She probably would have felt pretty good about this. Amen? Amen. Well, the people around her, they're like looking at her going, whoa, I think it's her. You want to know who touched you? I think it was her. Because she came into this place all bummed out. Now look at her. She's fine. She's happy. She's different. There's something different about this lady. There's not the same thing going on in everyone else. There's something that happened in this lady. And this lady that came in here all frail and bummed out is now dancing and smiling. She's pretty excited today. And she's not even supposed to be here. I think it was her. I think it was her. And she must have thought, uh-oh, I think they found out. <laughs> we often ask, what will she do? She must have been thinking, what will he do? What's Jesus going to do? Oh, no. What'll what's Jesus going to do? And, and it says in verse 47, it says, she came trembling. And falling down before him, trembling and falling down before him. She comes, all of a sudden, she's like, oh no, what did I do? 
and she's scared. She's wondering what's going to happen. Will Jesus rebuke me? Is Jesus going to publicly rebuke me here? Is Jesus going to reject me? Can't you imagine after all the teachings that she must have thought of now, Jesus is going, who touched me? Who touched me? That she's going, oh no. Did I make him unclean? And are these people going to stone me? I'm not even supposed to be here. What is going to happen? What's going to go on here? What are they going to do to me? And it says, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her this, in verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter. This is why I focused so hard in on daughter last week. Because this is the only place This is the only woman that Jesus, in all scripture, ever called daughter. It's the only place. And what a powerful word. What, I I mean, this woman, just think about this. And again, I, I deal with this because of just, I deal with people that are older than me and younger than me. This woman more than likely was older than Jesus. She had had this issue of of bleeding for 12 years and spent all that she had. And and Jesus at this point was probably in his early 30s. So this woman may have been older than him. And so what does Jesus say? Why is Jesus asking this question or, or making this statement over this woman, speaking to perhaps this older woman? Why is he using this affectionate term and saying, daughter? I think in all of this, I think the reason is this. That Jesus knew that that woman did not have a Jairus. She did not have a dad like Jairus to do what Jairus had just done for his little girl. She didn't have a dad that said, sweetheart, I know you're sick. I want you to just stay here. I'm going to go take care of this. I'm going to go get Jesus. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I'm going to do whatever I need to. I will beg. I will plead. I am going to get Jesus to come. And he's going to come heal the girl, my daughter, the one in whom I love, the one in whom I cherish. That's what her dad did. And this woman, she needed to take care of herself. She had to pay all of her own medical bills. She needed to take her own journey. She didn't have a dad that was going to go get Jesus to bring him. She had to take her own journey to Jesus. She had to put her own life on the line, her own reputation on the line. She had to put everything on the line to go meet Jesus. And church, some of you men, some of you ladies, you're like this woman. You're not like Jairus' daughter. Some of you are blessed. You're blessed because you have a dad who loves Jesus and a dad who loves you and a dad who will do everything that it takes to get you and Jesus together. You have a dad that will do those things for you, but some of you don't. And some of you don't, some of you don't even have a dad. Some of you don't have a dad like that. And some of you don't, some of you don't even have a dad at all. You know, I mean, you just have no idea who he is and he has no idea who you are. You don't have a father in your life. You don't have a dad that loves Jesus. You don't have a dad that loves you. And you don't have a dad that's fighting to bring you and Jesus together. And I am absolutely heartbroken because of that. But it is the truth. There are many of you that are this woman's story is your story. Men, women, it, it, it becomes our story. And over the years, I've had the honor of being able to minister to and speak to and, and counsel with and pray with all sorts of women from all backgrounds that are dealing with the brokenness that comes from daddy issues the brokenheartedness that comes from a dad who, who was not that kind of example. I've had, I had a teenage girl one day, pray, pray that he'll just talk to me. 
why don't you get to see him? Don't you, don't you guys live together? Are you divorced? He said, no, he lives with us, but he's always watching porn and he never talks to me. Church, men, let me just speak to the men right now. Dads, if you are not right in your thinking, you need to get right in your thinking because your daughter is going to grow up thinking that there's something wrong with her because you've rejected her. I haven't rejected her. Listen, she will see it as rejection if you are not there for her, if you're not loving her, if you're not accepting her, if you're not serving her, if you're not protecting her, if you're not providing for her, if you're not encouraging her, if you're not loving her with all of your heart, if you're not doing the things that you need to do to get her and Jesus together, she will see that as a place of rejection. And the sad part is that often times what happens is that women will they'll grow out of that childhood or and girl stage and come to this place of womanhood where they will find a man and he will look to he will they'll find the worst kind of man to fill that void church I, i'm just gonna be honest with you because there's so much brokenness in this topic I once counseled this woman. She was a young lady, and she was being seduced by this older guy. And she came wanting to talk to me about it, and, and she was being seduced by this guy that was quite a bit older than her. And, and honestly, I could tell through her description, he was just grooming her. He was just playing on her. He was, he was a married guy who had told her, oh yeah, but we're going to get in a divorce. We're, we're just living together still because of finances. And this young lady, she wanted a father figure in her life so badly that she was willing to exchange herself for this man who pretended to be like a father. In church, he wasn't a father. He was a predator. I've had to pray with women that lost their virginity to their dad. So dads, fathers, you need to know we are powerful for good or for evil in the lives of our children. This hit me the first time that I ever the first time, our, our oldest, Lauren, the first time I ever held Lauren, I realized that my heart's desire as I looked at this little girl was I, I, I could not wait to hear her say, Daddy. And I realized that, that this little girl is going to call me Father. And there's no other man in this world that she was going to be able to call Father. And I realized this little girl is going to call God Father. And I realized in that moment this overwhelming sacred responsibility, this, this sacred name that God had, had given me to be able to be in the life of this little girl. And listen, I know I am not sinless. I am not perfect. I am nothing like our heavenly father. But I made a decision in that moment that I was going to do everything that I could do to be a reflection of his love through my affections to this daughter that I loved, adored, and cherished. And that I was going to do everything that I could do to be a stepping stone of the love of God so that when she saw her father, it was an easy step from me to this father. That she would be able to see that in her life. That she would be able to, to take hold of that. That I would be the safest place in the world for my daughter to ever be. That I would be the one who cherished her the most. Who loved her the most. Who had the most affections for her. Who loved and cared and protected her the most. That she would be in me to find the safest place to be adored, to be loved, and to be cherished. I wanted to be that in her life, that I would, she would know that I treasured her and valued her above everything and everyone else. Now, again, I, I have, please don't ask my kids how I did in that. But even in my, my best God-led you know, uh, directions in that. I, you know, I, I've fallen so short. But I was a dad. I, I tried. And some of you ladies, some of you men, 
You never had that. And some of you don't know who your father is. Or you wish you didn't know who your father was because you're embarrassed of him. Let me tell you, the question, I know the question arises, it arose last week, and I knew that we were going to get to this this week. Questions always, so if all that's true, then what hope is there for me? What about me? I can't change that. What hope is there? And the hope is this. Jesus would say, as he said to this woman, that Jesus would say over you, daughter, that you would hear him say over you, daughter. Church, that Jesus would take the place of that earthly father, that earthly father's place in your life that Jesus would move into that place and he would become the man, even if it begins today, that Jesus would step into your life. You would hear him say, daughter, and you would begin to receive your identity from him, not from this fallen man, that you would begin to receive from him your, his affections, that you would find security in him, that you would find your provision in him, that you would find your protection in him. That he would be the man. He would be the one that you go to in your time of need. And you would find him to be faithful. That he would lovingly and affectionately care for you in every moment, in every difficulty, in every trial, in everything as you turn to him. You would find that he is a faithful father to you. But so many identify with this woman because our life has a lot of suffering. And my encouragement to you again today would be this. Please reach out to Jesus. Reach out to Jesus. He's not your problem. He's the answer. He's not the one who fell short. Your earthly father did. He's not the one who let you down. He is the one who brought healing in that time of brokenness. He is the one who's able to do those things in our lives that no man, that no one around us can. Reach out to Jesus today and let him unleash the power of God into your life so that you can hear him speak over your life, even as I say it, that you could hear him saying over you, daughter. Son. And then let him yes. be that father in your life. Yes. Amen. Let him be that desperately needed father figure. Let him do that. To this woman's life, and he does all this in a crisis. Jesus would do what he did, how he did it. He, he speaks to this woman's life, and he does all this in a crowd. And, and again, he, he didn't pull her aside. He, he, he does this in the crowd. And in the crowd, I, I believe with all my heart that Jesus does this because Jesus wanted to restore to this woman what, the, what, what the, her illness had stolen, what religion had stolen, what people had stolen, what he wanted to bring to her, what nobody around her and nobody else could do. He wanted to bring to her dignity in this moment. He wanted to dignify her amongst the whole crowd. Everyone's reaching out and touching me, but this woman, she touched it was different something happened in her life something changed something was transformative in her life that woman he restored dignity and Jesus gave her affection when nobody else would when even religion said you're not allowed to do that he gave her this affection and restores her in the eyes and the sight and the fellowship of God's people God, we have to see God, how good our God is, how good our Jesus is. This was a life-changing moment for her. Everything in her life changed. Everything in her life was transformed. It was a total healing moment that happened in her. Everything changes. Nothing's the same. And people can even see it. That she had been transformed first time in 12 years in every shape, in every form. This is the first time, imagine this, first time in 12 years that anybody was able to celebrate and hug her in the midst of that celebration 
for 12 years. Imagine what it was like after 12 years of not being touched, 12 years of not getting a hug, to now be able to see the people come around and hug and care and love on her and thank God for what he's done in her life. For the first time in 12 years, people could lay hands on her and pray for her. For the first time in 12 years, she could lay hands on people and pray for those that are in need. For the first time in 12 years, she's able to go to church and worship with the people of God. For the first time in her life, look, she could now get married if she wanted to. She could now have children if she so was able. I thought about all that and I thought, man, this lady, this, she had not been able to touch a baby in 12 years. I wonder if from earlier, I just wonder if she'd had children and maybe even now grandchildren that she'd never held. And now she's able. Church, her whole life was radically, instantly changed and transformed by the power of God that was unleashed in her life through faith in Jesus Christ. Even the people looked at her and said, wait, had to have been her because she does not look the same. That's why this woman is a portrait. She's a picture of salvation, of what happens in our life, each and every one of us in, in that moment of salvation. Look, doesn't your heart go out to this woman? It, 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 honestly, if your heart doesn't go out to what she's been through, you may not have a heart. Because, <laughs> man, this poor lady. But you know what? In the simplicity of what's happened to her, It boils down to this. She once was unclean, and now she's clean. She once was unclean, and now she's clean. So I want to take a few moments here as we, in the last portion here, to, to talk about this doctrine, this doctrine that's called expiation. The doctrine of expiation, or basically it's atonement. The doctrine of, of atonement. And the big idea, and the reason is this, because in the scriptures, there's roughly you know, a dozen words or so that describe who we are as sinners. The, the word calls us defiled. The, the word calls us uh, unclean. The word calls us filthy. And, as I, and I put some of this in your notes. I, as Isaiah, as I was reading through that, I realized, you know, Isaiah actually uses this illustration that, that our religion, our religious acts of righteousness, what we think we do religiously to gain righteousness, that our works in our life, the works that we have that are apart from faith, that our human efforts to please God. Isaiah equates them to this bleeding woman's filthy rags. And yes, I know, it's disgusting. And that's the way that Jesus sees our sin, as filthy rags. Look, the Bible uses this analogy. There's the metaphor that says our sin is like uncleanness. Our sin is like that. This this woman, look, why why, why is this woman in this situation? This woman is unclean. Why? She's unclean because sin came into the world. Now, again, please, I'm not talking about cause and effect. I'm not saying, and Scripture does not say this, that, that hey, she did this, she committed this sin, that's why she has this sickness. I, I'm not saying that at all. The Scripture doesn't say that at all. There's no connection there that she committed a sin, that's why she has this. There's no connection at all. But the truth is that when the world was finished, when God had finished his creation, he looked at it all and he said it was all very good, that in his creation there was nothing but life. There was life. And then because of human sin, because of our sinfulness, our rebellion, sickness and suffering and death, all all those things, they're in our world because sin exists. They wouldn't be here if it wasn't for sin. And so there's sin in our world. 
And that sin infects and affects everyone and everything, including this woman, this woman that came to Jesus, including her body, including her physical health, including her spiritual condition before God. And for all of us, church, sin is like this woman, that we all have a debilitating condition. We are born with it. It is something that we are given through birth. It's something that comes as we are a part of the human race, and we are born with this debilitating condition, and we live all the days of our life with this debilitating condition called sin. We live with it every day. It affects us. It defiles us. It degrades our health. It tears us down. It brings death. It makes us unclean in the high eyes of a holy righteous God it makes us cast out from being able to truly worship with God's people ultimately leads this debilitating condition of sin leads to suffering it leads to death and church there is no hope there is no cure and it doesn't matter what we do it doesn't matter who we see it doesn't matter how much money we spend it doesn't matter what religion you join it doesn't matter how many therapy sessions you go to it doesn't matter how many gurus you have there is no hope unless you reach out to Jesus Christ for he is the only way the only truth the only sin won't just go away the under it is only through jesus and this debilitating condition won't just go away the uncleanliness of sin that leads to death will always be with us it will always be in our heart and there is no hope there is no help apart from jesus christ now, now what that means though is that we are all guilty of sin that we are guilty, that we are unclean, all of us. And people who are sinners, sometimes we can cover it up in our conscience, but sinners know there's a place where I feel defiled. If your heart has not been renewed, if you have not been born again, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And even if you are born again, you know what it felt like. To be defiled, unclean through the sin that was committed against us that made us victims or the sin that we committed against others, the sin that we committed against ourselves, the sin that we've committed against a holy God, the sin that we were born into. We, we feel that way, defiled, damaged, dirty, degraded, disgusting. The Bible says it's all called unclean. And, and again, some of you will Sadly, some of you will relate to this, that every time I've ever had this privilege of speaking to somebody that had gone through abuse, almost every single time the abuse victim says that after the abuse, the first thing they wanted to do was just take a shower. Just take a shower. Why? Because they felt unclean. And they needed to be clean. They, they needed that water to bring cleansing. And that cleansing, it can only bring an external cleansing. It cannot do the inner work. That shower, no matter how long somebody stood in the shower, no matter how much somebody scrubs themselves and scrubs themselves and scrubs themselves with the desire to find this cleanliness, to find myself not feeling unclean, it won't go away because a shower has no ability to make you clean on the inside. It does not go deep enough. Now, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish calendar, one of the, the, the most important celebrations, in fact, it would have been a celebration that this woman would have known about. In that culture, there was this celebration and it was called Yom Kippur. You've heard of that. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. is the High Holy Day. You know what it was, what Yom Kippur was in that day? Yom Kippur was for the sinful, the debilitated, the defiled. It was for all. It was, it was honestly, it was like a shower for the abuse victim. It was just this place where people wanted to be cleansed. They needed to be cleansed. And so people would come to Yom Kippur, which was really in that time, nothing more than a shower. 
And what would happen is they had this debilitating condition called sin. And in that place of sin, God had opened the door for them to to go to him and to come to him through a mediator, through the work of a mediator, this high priest who was the foreshadowing of what the coming of Jesus Christ would represent, our great high priest. And that high priest would would come and the people would gather on that day and worship. And they would all come around. And and, and it's ironic that there was this day of Yom Kippur and the people would gather and this woman with the issue of blood was not allowed to attend she would not have been allowed to have gone to Yom Kippur and this is the grace of the almighty God who loves you this woman could not go to Yom Kippur so what did Jesus do he brought Yom Kippur to her he made her clean and again, a lot of things go into Yom Kippur, but I'm just briefly going through this. In, in, in Yom Kippur, what they would do is they would take two goats. Both of them were perfect, spotless, unblemished goats. And, and that was, you know, uh, that they would represent what would be the Messiah or Jesus in his coming. Jesus would come without sin. The Messiah would come without sin. And, and so this goat, they would take these goats and then the, the intercessor, the priest, the intercessor, the mediator, this advocate of the people would pronounce all of the sins over this goat that was called the sacrificial goat. And the sins would all be, the people would be pronounced over this goat and then they would take this goat and its blood would be shed. This goat would become the substitute for the sins of the people, the substitute for the people. And this goat This perfect, unblemished goat would suffer and die in their place for their sins, showing what Jesus would ultimately do for us at the cross. And then they would take the second goat. The second goat was not the sacrificial goat. The second goat was called the scapegoat. You've heard of that. So they would take the scapegoat, and similarly, the, the priest would pronounce the sins of the people over this scapegoat, and then they would send that goat off. This was not a sacrificial goat. It was the scapegoat. And they would send it off. And, and history says that what the people would do is the people would begin to chase the scapegoat out into the wilderness so that it was completely gone. They wanted that goat to be gone. They wanted their sins that were on that goat to be gone as far as the east is from the west. They wanted those to be gone. And so they would chase that goat out so that that goat would never be seen again. But listen, for the people in that time, it was nothing more than a shower. But it was a symbolizing of the fact that they wanted to be set free from this. They wanted to be cleansed. They wanted their sins taken away forever. They wanted to be made clean. And so this high holy day would have all sorts of ceremonial, ceremonial cleanings and washings. And they would wear white. And they would, they would have you know, baths. And they would clean their house. All symbolizing the need for expiation. Or cleansing. Atonement. but it did not have the power to bring uncleanliness from the heart. It only had the power to do an external work for a moment, like a shower. In church, we need to be forgiven. We need the grace of God to come in and like for this woman, not the people that were attending Yom Kippur, but this woman who Yom Kippur came to her and she experienced the cleansing, the forgiving, what Jesus and only Jesus can do. Jesus Christ in that moment, Jesus became her Yom Kippur. And he forgives her and cleanses her. Ultimately, he's gonna go to the cross for her and for us. And one of my favorite verses of all time explains what happens. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. Where all of my uncleanliness and all of my filth, it all goes to Jesus. And Jesus, all of his righteousness and all of his holiness, it goes to me. And church, I want you to see yourself this morning reaching out to Jesus. With all the sins that you committed, with all of the sins that have been committed to you, with all of the sins in your nature, with, with all of the filth, with all of the defilement, with all of the disobedience, with all of the uncleanliness, with all of the, uh, the rebellion, with, with all of the idolatry, I want you to see yourself 
reaching out to Jesus. And yes, there will be, in many, even though we just went through this story, there will be this, for many, this concern, this fear that rises up that says, but, but what if I make him unclean? There's so many people that think, ah, you know what, I'll come to Jesus one day, but I got to get cleaned up first. I got to take care of these things first. I, I got I to get this stuff taken care of so I, I don't defile him. Yeah. You know what, the church has got to stop taking showers and start coming to Jesus so that the power of God can be unleashed in our lives to clean us from the inside, not just from the outside. We need this in our lives. Because this woman, she reaches out and the most amazing thing will happen in you, just like what happened in her. You'll find you don't make him unclean. He makes you clean and you come out of it. You come out forgiven. You come out cleansed. His righteousness is granted to you. You receive his righteousness and you're made clean. Jesus forgives you. He cleanses you just like he did this woman. So 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all of our unrighteousness. What that means is that Jesus has become our sacrificial goat. Jesus, he's the one who forgives our sin. He's the one who carried our sin to the cross. And Jesus also became our scapegoat. He's the one who cleanses us from unrighteousness. He's the one who makes us clean. He's the one who casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. Look, this is this woman's Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur came to her. This is her high and holy day. This is the day that she is saved by faith. This is the day that she physically, spiritually was transformed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, God did something in her. And she came out of this forgiven. She came out of this cleanse. She came out of this change. She came out of this transformed. She came out of this looking different, acting different, sounding different. God changed her. God cleansed her. She was made clean. And what does Jesus say? say to her? Jesus says, daughter. To a woman who had not known peace. God said, go in peace. God was saying to this woman, go live a new life. Go live the redeemed life. Go live the clean life. Go live to the glory of God. Go live to the glory of your Savior. Go live to the glory of the one who calls you daughter. Go live to the glory of the one who calls you son. Go live to the glory of your Redeemer. Go live to the glory of the one who made you whole, who redeemed the unredeemable, who did signs and wonders and miracles in your life. Go live to his glory and you will find his peace. And he has made that available to each and every one of us. Church, this week I realized, again, and I've realized this, but as I was going through this, I realized the tremendous responsibility, privilege that God has placed on my life as your pastor to stand even in the place of, you know, a spiritual father figure. For the younger, the older, yeah, it's awkward, but it, that's what it is. And I have felt this deep, desperate need all week long to do whatever it took, to beg, to plead, Lord Jesus, please come. Please do what only you can. Please, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, as a father figure, I was pleading with Jesus, please, Jesus, come meet with your people. Come meet with these people that need you. Come meet with this group. Come meet with new life. Come bring healing. Come bring your healing virtue to those that are in need. God, please, because I want to be a Jairus in your life. I want to be one that will help you to come to Jesus, that will find that place. Somebody that will love you with an unconditional love and bring you to the one who wants to love you with an eternal love. A love that will never die, that will never be diminished. A love that you will never be able to know in anything that this world has to offer. I want you to be restored. I want you to be redeemed. And it's been my, 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 my 
desire this whole week, desperate desire that you would receive through Jesus Christ, the cleansing, the washing, the forgiving that only Jesus can be so that you can leave this place today different, that you can leave this place today and go out and you'll people around you will know that you've been touched by Jesus because you reached out and touched Jesus. I pray that God would cause you to reach out and that the power of God would be unleashed in your life to bring transformation and meet the needs. That he would fill that place of of fathers that are missing. The fathers that have been degraded. Fathers that are defiled. Fathers that don't love him. Mothers that have been AWOL. God has an answer and his name is Jesus Christ and that place is for you and it's here today day and God's desire is that you would reach out and that you would be touched, healed and restored this woman, her story is she heard Jesus say daughter this woman knows the cleansing virtue of Jesus and I pray today that that would be your story question is, will you let him? She had to fight through, she had to humble herself and fight through the religious crowd, the people that were in her way, that were at work. She had to fight through the people that were in her way. But there was nothing that was going to deny her from getting to Jesus. And Jesus spoke over her go in peace your sins are forgiven and you have been cleansed will you pray with me Lord you know those you've called for this day you know Lord those that you desire to minister to the plans that you have Lord for this time God I know that your people are are hurting that those in the church are hurting Matthew 7 says everyone who comes to church isn't necessarily saved. So Jesus, would you speak over the lives of those that are here, of those that are reaching out, those who need you, those who desire to hear you? Jesus, would you just meet them right where they are? Lord, I thank you that today we don't we don't have to go, we don't have to, we don't have to go try to find a, a, a ceremonial washing through Yom Kippur because Yom Kippur came in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, we just simply receive what you have done and experience the great exchange. God speaking to your heart today? Is God asking you for in one way, shape, or form to, to respond to him? Oh, pride, religion, fear of people, fear of people's thoughts, that'll all try to stop you. But between you and Jesus right now, just lift your hand as an acknowledgement saying, Jesus, this is what I need today. I need this restoration. Come on, just between you and him, everybody's head is bowed and eyes are closed, men, women alike. Who's in need of that today, that restoration? Jesus. Come on, I see those hands. Thank you, Lord God. Come on, don't, listen, don't turn from Jesus. He's not the problem. The devil's the one who comes to rob, steal, kill. He's the one who comes to destroy your life. And it's Jesus who comes to give you life and life more abundantly. Look, Jesus isn't the problem in your life. It's the devil who's been stealing in the way of taking your dad, taking fathers, taking men, taking them out of our lives. He's the one who brought sin into this world. And Jesus today is the answer. Well, sometimes it takes a moment to get through the crowd. Say, you know what? I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Oh, Lord God, you see each and every hand. More importantly, Lord, you see each and every heart. And I pray today, Lord God, that virtue would flow, that virtue would flow through this place. 
Jesus, you said where two or more are gathered, there you are. And I thank you for your presence, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would cause that virtue to move in the hearts of men and women in this place today. That we could hear you say, daughter. That we would hear you say, son. God, let this be a day, a time, as this moment for this woman was transformational. Lord, let this moment for us be transformational. Lord God, come on, just tell him. I'm sick of trying to right now. I need and Jesus, I just need you. I need you right now. I need you to come into my life. I don't need, I don't need any man. I don't need anything. I need you, Jesus, to fill those needs. This is my battle. And today is my victory. This is where I stand. Lord God, if you, without you, I have no hope. Without you, I have no ability. Without you, Lord God, I have nothing. But I trust today, Lord, that with you, as I touch the hem of your garment, I have healing and wholeness and cleanness. You have cleansed me, Lord God. You have cleansed me. You have taken the, those that bleeding woman's filthy rags and you have washed them white as snow that by the shed blood of Jesus those sins are washed away and that those filthy rags are restored to full oh untainted wholeness thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Every war he wages, he wins. Come on, we are victorious in him. I'm not backing down from any Because I know how the story ends. Yes. Yes, I know how the story ends. I'm going to see a victory. Come on, it is here. It is for you. this for people to say, ah, I need to go do this, or I need to go respond. Look, in your small groups, pray for people. Pray for people that are struggling. Be honest. Be open. Let people know, I'm struggling with this, and I need Jesus. And life group leaders, you love people. You care about people, and you be that person that will stand in the gap and take those that Jesus loves and connect them with the Jesus who loves them. And you do everything you can to get people together with Jesus because he's the answer, I'm not. He's the answer, you're not. People need Jesus. And so please be a part of a life group. Be a part of a fellowship of people in a small group and be a part of that today. Find one and be a part with the school. Go. So listen, church, go be the light. Go be the gospel. Go be the church. He's called you to that. So go be, go do what God has called you to do. So church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. Go love on this community. Go be the church. God bless you. I love you.
enemy meant for evil, he turned it for good.